Well, Redeemer, my name is Matt Scarlett, and I am so honored and uh, thrilled um, yeah, to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. But before I do, um, I don't know about you, kind of a busy week, and this morning, uh, Chris and I in this corner here had the privilege of watching lots of little kids run around and stuff, so I was trying to focus on singing, but also focusing on the kids, so I need some more prayer. So um, let's just take a few moments here, each, each and every one of us, and just... Um, Calm, calm ourselves, quiet ourselves before the Lord, before we hear from his holy word. Father, we acknowledge that we need you, and we need to hear from you this morning. Father, we don't need to hear from Matt Scarlett. We need to hear from your holy, awesome word. That's what we need, God. We've all had busy weeks, different voices coming at us from different angles, but God, today, we just feel it. We need to hear from you. So, Lord, with John the Baptist, we say, we we look to you and we say that you must increase, we must decrease. We need you, Lord. We love you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, now to speak for your glory, O God, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John 3.16. Uh, here at Redeemer City, as, as those of you who come here know, we often are in our, spending our time making our way through a, a book of the Bible. A couple years ago, we went through the book of Daniel. We went through parts of Leviticus, First and Second Thessalonians, parts of the Psalms last summer. And here we find ourselves, or forgive me, a couple, up until a couple weeks ago, we found ourselves in the book of Acts. But this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. Today we're going to park in one of the most famous of all Bible verses, John 3.16. But before we launch into that, I just want to talk briefly about wonder. Now, wonder is something that we tend to lose quickly as we grow up. I remember recently I visited a friend and I watched as his two little boys ran in and out of the house playing with their little bulldozers in the dirt, running in, having some bear paws, then running back out, and then finally landing on the couch to watch some Paw Patrol or something like that. And as I'm watching these two little ones, I was just in awe of of their affection, of their hope, of their excitement, their joy, and and their wonder. See, little, little children are great for that. They're excitable. But as we get older, we just get often boring and we get dull, and it takes more to excite us. Isn't that the case? Yeah, it is for me. Wonder fills us with the joy, contentment, excitement, and hope. But again, for many of us, that's a thing of the past. And I would argue that for us as Christians, we can use the text before us, John 3.16, as a litmus test for whether or not we have lost something of the wonder that should characterize us as we think about what God has done to rescue us. You see, for many of us here, we've grown up going to church week in, week out since we've been five. And that's a great thing. And we've heard John 3, 16 recited to us from the pulpit in the classrooms. That's a great thing. But because we've heard it so frequently, often we lose sight of its magnificence. And it would be natural for us to gloss over the scandalous love of God that this verse speaks of. Natural, but not right. Natural, but not right. 
But then there's some of you here this morning, and, and maybe it's your first time, maybe you're watching online, it's your first time ever being in church, ever tuning into a service, ever hearing about the good news. And therefore, you don't realize that what we're going to do today is look at this awesome Bible verse that teaches us of the wonder of the glory of Jesus Christ. But no matter where you are today, Christian or not, new believer, old believer, the gospel of Jesus Christ demands your attention. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of John 3.16, demands your humility and my humility to see that it is our only hope. And friends, it is the only hope for this lost and dying world that we're a part of. My prayer this week, and uh, leading up to it, it's been that this morning, is that God would open the eyes of the blind. For those of, here, those of you here today who've never put your trust in Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for you. But it's also been that God would reawaken the fire, the joy, the wonder for those of us who've been coming to church our whole life and who've gotten tired of the gospel. So with these things in mind, friends, by the Holy Spirit's, or with the Holy Spirit's help, hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living, and active word to us today. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now again, this verse, arguably the most important, or not most important, there's lots of important verses, arguably the most famous verses in all the scriptures, comes after a discussion between Jesus and an important Jewish religious leader, Nicodemus. You see, Jesus had just explained to Nicodemus that in order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to become a child of God, you must be born again. Jesus says you need to have the Holy Spirit take your dead, rock-hard heart and replace it with a heart that is alive and pumping for the glory of God. In other words, you don't need a mere renovation you don't need a repair. You don't need an addition. You need a complete rebuild. That's what Jesus said to prepare us for the glorious text before us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Matthew Henry, he was a famous uh, pastor and theologian. He wrote a commentary, which is, which is a book basically describing and, and explaining the verses of the scriptures. He said this about this verse. Here is gospel indeed, good news, the best that ever came from heaven to earth. Here is much, here is all in a little, the word of reconciliation in miniature. Friends, John 3.16 is good news. It is the, world, is the news that the world needs to hear, believe, hope, and trust in. So this morning, let's park here and overlook the beauty and the wonder of the good news of the gospel for the glory of God and for our good. Well, good news, good news can come in different forms. You know, sometimes good news is strictly one-dimensional. You know, think of the young couple who's been trying to have a little one for years upon years, and then they take a pregnancy test and, and praise God, she's pregnant. The baby's healthy. That, that's one-dimensional, right? That's only good news. 
Or maybe you're, you're, you're here and you're like, I've been praying for that promotion, working hard for it, and you finally get it. That's good news. One-dimensional good news. But sometimes good news comes with some bad news. You know, sometimes you have to hear about the bad news before you get to the good news, which will trump and nullify the bad. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It does to me, anyways. Well, that is how the good news comes to us in John 3.16. In this hope and wonder-filled verse, the first thing we have to see is the depths of our sin. If your family doctor, or if he or she identified cancer at your last visit, but then decided not to tell you, you would change doctors, right? Right? You'd flee from that doctor. You'd be upset. You'd be angry. Why didn't you tell me the truth? Ignorance is not bliss in matters of life and death. Well, in the same way, when we're dealing with matters of eternity, matters of our soul, heaven and hell, our very existence, ignorance is never bliss. So John doesn't sugarcoat the message. John doesn't edit the Bible to make it more palatable for the world. No, he says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not, what? Perish. The good news comes to a world that is perishing. Did you know that? You know, sometimes, because John 3.16, it's such, a one, just such an amazing verse, and we, because we teach it to our little ones so frequently, sometimes we gloss over this. And when we do, we miss a key point. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a rescue mission. It is a search and rescue mission because, friends, the world is sinking into ruin. The wrath of God lies heavy upon everyone who is trusting in anything else other than Jesus for their salvation. The world is perishing. A a few short verses later, we hear this warning. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Sin has so infiltrated the world that every single person born is, is under its reign under, and is its servant. Paul puts it this way in Romans 3.23. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, the wages of sin is death. Meaning when you commit sin, you deserve death. The good news of Jesus Christ comes to a world full of people deserving the wrath of God for their sin. All people from every nation are under this sentence. They're all perishing, and they're remaining under the judgment of God for their rebellion. And friends, this is part of the the good news. Believe me, we're going to get to some better, but this is part of the good news of John 3.16, that Jesus has come to save perishing sinners. This past spring, Krista and I got to go to Nova Scotia to visit some of her family. And while we were there, we visited a small Titanic museum. And uh, one of the things that stuck out to us is that they noted that many of the passengers didn't even notice that there was a collision when the ship hit the iceberg. 
They were eating, drinking, frolicking, sleeping. And those that did feel it felt a mere vibration. Little did they know that for many that was the beginning of the end. Friends, we rub shoulders with men and women every single day who are unaware that they are under the wrath of God. Every day we rub shoulders with with people who are on the road to destruction. Some of them know it, and they don't care, but many of them have not heard the good news that there is a rescue. We need to see this. In order to see the wonder, the glory of John 3.16, we need to see the depths of our sin, and the sin of the world. The good news of Jesus Christ, it comes to a world that is perishing. But after the revealing of the deadly prognosis, John 3.16 tells us of the heights of God's love. The heights of God's love. This sounds more familiar to you, doesn't it? Right? Think John 3.16, you think of that. But what is so staggering about John 3.16, about the good news of the gospel, about this rescue mission, is that it comes to a rebellious people. You see, God sets his glorious, awesome, rich love, not on a lovely and obedient people, not on a people who were crying out for him to come, but on a rebellious world who didn't want any part of him. D.A. Carson, he sums it up this way. When John tells us that God loves the world, far from being an endorsement of the world, it is a testimony to the character of God. God's love is to be admired, not because the world is so big, but because the world is so bad. It's a lot easier to love obedient and loving children than it is to love disobedient, angry, rebellious children who want no part of you, isn't it? Well, the world is full of people like you and I, rebellious, angry, people who don't want a part of God, And that is one of the reasons why this verse should fill us with such wonder. Not because the world is so good, but because the world is so bad. The world is so bad. And yet God sent his unfathomable love on it, on a world that rejected him. Do you remember when Jesus was talking about love and he was talking to the Pharisees and he says, you know, even they love their... um, Love their, na- love their family, love their neighbors. He goes, what good is that? Right? Basically, if you love those who are easy to love. Well, God looked at a world that thumbed their nose at him. Right? We were created to worship. Right? See, we were created, think of a piano, a piano that has been freshly tuned. Right? It, if you play it, it sounds beautiful. We were created like that piano, tuned originally to sing and worship and love and live for the glory of God. But when sin entered, we became like a damaged piano that just cannot play the right notes. God saw us, that old, ugly, awful-sounding piano, and said, I love them. I love them. It doesn't make any sense. This is supposed to cause us to go, I know my own heart. Every day I see how many of my best actions are riddled with ulterior motives. If, if you look at your own heart and you're honest, you know it's the same for you. 
Every day I see how many times I failed to love God as I was made to, how I failed to love my wife, my family, my coworkers, my neighbors as I was made to. But God loves me. God loves you. God loves the world. Not because of anything intrinsically good about us, but because of something intrinsically glorious in him. It's amazing. Romans 5.8 says that while we, were yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why were we yet sinners? And the, the, our call to worship from 1 John In this is love. Not that we loved God. Again, the gospel doesn't come to a people that were looking up to God saying, wow, we love you. Come down and save us. We need you. No, we were rebels. We were wayward. And somehow, some way, God loved us. Well, the reason is because he is glorious. When God passed by Moses on the mountain, he declared this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who our God is. He is wonderful in love, and he loves his creation. John 3.16 informs us of the heights of God's love, as it was given and demonstrated to an unlovely, rebellious, guilty, and wayward world. Now, to be sure, God has been faithful. He was always demonstrating his love to Israel. Every time Israel failed, He kept on pouring more mercy. He kept on saving them. Even after he disciplined them, he brought them back. But in Jesus, we get the fullest picture, the most glorious picture of God's love for the world. You see, if anyone ever doubted the heights of God's love for this world, for his affection for this world, that Jesus puts all of those doubts away. Because God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners by sending his one and only son on our behalf. That's how much he loved me. That's how much he loved you. He saw us in our disobedience, fallen short of his glory, but loved us. Friends, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you, do you know how much the Lord loves you? Maybe you need to be reminded of this. I know I did. You know, as I was studying this, I was overwhelmed a few times to tears, thinking, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. How could God love me so much? He sees my heart. John Calvin captures the beauty of this. He says, The word only begotten is emphatic to magnify the fervor of the love of God towards us. For as men are not easily convinced that God loves them, in order to remove all doubt, he has expressly stated that we are so very dear to God that on our account he did not even spare his only begotten son. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You know, sometimes we're so filled with doubt because of our sin. You know, and we really do say, how could God love me? He sees what I've done. You know, not only does he see what I did before I was a Christian, but he's seen what I've done since I'm a Christian. He saw when I lashed out at my child, when I was tempted to give in to that lust, when I was tempted to give in to that addiction again. 
when I did give in to those things. You know, friends, when we feel that, we're feeling something of the holiness of God and our own sin. And friends, that's a good thing. Even as believers, we're still meant to feel that, right? We're saints and sinners simultaneously. So as we fall short of the glory of God, even as believers, we're meant to feel some of that guilt and shame when we fall. But we cannot stay there. Many Christians make this mistake, living lives full of guilt and shame and despair. But John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. He loves you. See his love. See the heights of God's love and the sacrifice of Christ. Rest in it. Have peace in In our rebellious state, God demonstrated the height of his love for us by sending his one and only son to be our rescue. And thirdly, the good news shows us the breadth of Jesus' sacrifice. The breadth of Jesus' sacrifice. You know, as we said earlier, the, the good news of the gospel is a, is a rescue mission. Sometimes we forget about this, right? We think that it's just another thing that you can do. Oh, you know, that works for you. Oh, that's great. How many of you have heard that from your coworkers or your family? Yeah. Drives you bonkers, right? It's like, Lord, open their eyes. Because this is not a mere take it or leave it thing. The gospel is not just something that works for some people. It's the only option. It is the only rescue for the problem that each and every one of us have. So God sent his one and only son to undo all that Adam and Eve had brought upon the world. He sent Jesus to do away with the problem of our sin. That is why when John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus approaching, he didn't say, whoa, a new guru, a new teacher of the law. No, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John saw that that Jesus was not just another teacher, but that he was the one who was going to free God's people from their greatest burden, sin. And how would he do this? He would do it by giving up himself. He would be our sacrifice. He would step in and bear the judgment that you and I rightfully deserved. In John 3, verse 14 to 15, just two verses prior, you probably don't even need to turn your Bible. It should be right in front of you. Jesus told us this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You see, Jesus was rooting what he came to do in a previous act of God's grace in the lives of his people. You see, as, as, as they often did, God's people in the wilderness began to be growing patient. And then they grumbled, like they usually did, and started to say to Moses, why'd you bring us out here? And when they did that, God's judgment this time was to send fiery serpents into the camp, which would bite the people and cause them to perish. Once the people have had their fill of death, they realize they're wrong, they confess their sin, 
And God directed Moses this way. He said, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. See, what Jesus was saying, he was pointing back to this story and he was saying that that event was ultimately pointing to his death on the cross. The bronze serpent was the substitute for the people. And Jesus was saying, just as that bronze serpent was a substitute, so I'm going to be your substitute. So I'm going to be the one to bear the judgment of God on your behalf. Friends, Jesus came to live and to die and to rise again in your place and in my place. That's what his mandate was and that's what he did. He came to be lifted up. That's a way of saying to be crucified. He came to die and to be raised so that you and I would be free of our sin. We could be saved. Because you and I know, and history tells us, every single man or woman that's ever lived has been born into sin and has done it well, have they not? Right? But Jesus never did. As he walked this earth, every single moment of his life was in perfect, perfect conformity to his Father's will. Can you imagine that? Think about, what, what was the first thought? I always tell the kids this when I'm teaching them because it's easy. easy to, you know, it's hard sometimes with little ones. They don't understand how, how difficult they can be, right? So sometimes I, I say to them, like, what was your first thought when you woke up today? Was it, man, I want to honor God. I'm so grateful for this bed. I'm so grateful that I have cereal for breakfast. I'm so grateful for my parents. I get to go to church. You know, and they all know that that was not their first thought, right? It doesn't take them long. But Jesus, every single breath, every day, year after year, through suffering, through persecution, even to the point of death, always did what pleased the Father. And he always loved the people around him. Perfectly. And then he was condemned as a criminal. Nailed on a cross where he bore the curse of sin, not because of anything he had done, but solely because our sin and our judgment was laid upon him. And friends, at that moment, while Jesus was bearing our sins, you and I, thanks be to God, were having our guilty record completely expunged. And we were receiving Christ's perfect record. Our sins were wiped away. They were wiped away. Completely exchanged for Jesus' perfect record. Because he lived and he died in our place. He lived the life that we could never live and were made to. And then he died in our place. As though he committed our sins. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this. For our sake he made him. That is God made Jesus. To be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great exchange. That's the hope of the world, that our sins could be traded for the righteousness of Jesus, that our records could be swapped, cleared of our guilt, as though we had never sinned. That's what Jesus did for us. That's why, and what Psalm 103 looked forward to when it said, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That is the breadth of Jesus' sacrifice. 
He took it all. He paid it all in full. Thanks be to God. It begs the question, what do we have to do to receive this? What do we have to do? There must be some big ordeal that we must go through, no? To receive this? No. It's as easy, as so easy and simple that a child can do it. We're called to repent of our sin and place every bit of our trust in Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to repent? To repent means simply to turn around. And maybe you're sitting here and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You're sitting here and you're feeling the weight of your guilt, your sin. And, and you're seeing the heights of God's love, but you're also seeing how holy he is. Well, all you have to do to repent of your sin is to see that and say, Father, I know I've fallen short. I know I've fallen short of your glory. I see my sin and I am sorry for it. But I'm not trusting in myself. I'm trusting the cross is usually here. Where's the cross? cross has been moved. There it is. I'm trusting in the cross, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is my hope. He lived the life that I could never live. He bore my sins. He is my life. That is what it means to repent and believe. And friends, as you do that, you will be changed. Because obedience and growth, true obedience and true growth, true faith, always follows true belief, and true repentance. Because God doesn't save us and say, okay, I saved you from that sin, now carry on in wickedness. No, that would be awful, would it not? No, he picks us up and he saves us, wipes us clean, he says, go on, sin no more. And he conforms us to his image by the power of the Holy Spirit. It all starts with this faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus' sacrifice accomplished for us. And this brings us to the last point. The good news of the gospel tells us of the hope of eternal life. Look with me to our text one last time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We've seen Jesus, God the Father, they saw us in our rebellion and our despair and they set a plan in motion to rescue us, to redeem us. Jesus died so that we could have life and have it to the full. That's why in John 10.10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Like I said, Jesus didn't come to leave us in our sin. He came so that we would begin to live the lives that we were called and made to live. You know, in salvation, like that horrible piano analogy, it's like Jesus, God retunes us as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And though we don't play the piano perfectly, we still have some wrong notes in there, we are now beginning to sound and live like what we were made to. That's the hope of eternal life. Jesus would say, in John 17, this in John 17, and this is eternal life that they know you, the Father. So we're tasting and we're seeing and we're experiencing this eternal life even here and now. And how many of you have experienced that? How many of you have testimonies of God just completely destroying your past, ridding you of those sinful, sinful patterns of life? 
and giving you new life, life to the full. But more than this, more than this, Jesus' promise of eternal life looks past this life on earth to the new heavens and then to the new earth. It points to a time when sin will be completely removed. All effects of sin will be gone. All traces of it. There will be no more fear. No fear of death. No more rebellion. We will be engulfed in the awesome glory of God in the new heavens and the new earth. Eternal life, friends, is going to be pure bliss as we glory in God, as we worship as Him, as we savor Him, as we are united with Him, as we have perfect relationships with one another. Jesus says, I came to free you from your sin, to give you abundant life now and forevermore. I came to give you a hope and life that goes past the grave. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. It is a glorious, wonderful, and hope-filled message that we are tasked with not only believing, but declaring to the world around us. I stress that. It is good news. I know that we're living in a time when people don't want to be told that they're sinners. At least where we are in North America, people don't want to. But the problem is I think you and I hear that message so many times that we begin to think it's true that like, telling this part of the gospel is, 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 is not true. And we begin to like, okay, I'm going to tamp that down because there's no way that God could actually open their heart. There's no way that they're actually going to receive that. Satan would love to do that. He would love for us to, tamp, to tamper with the gospel. He would love to say, yeah, just, just preach Jesus. Preach him as like a good guru. I'm okay with that. Preach him as somebody who will give you life now, all, everything you want, prosperity, yeah. Satan would love to have us do that, but the gospel is a rescue mission. People on the Titanic who knew that they had hit the iceberg would have been glorying in the fact that there were lifeboats, that there was a way to be saved. And we have that good news, friends. Yes, the world is perishing, but yes, there is a God who has loved the world so much that he would give his one and only son. Let's remember that. Let's remember that. Let's pray prayers like that. Saying, Lord, I know that this is going to be hard to declare this truth to my coworker, to my neighbor. But I believe they need to hear it. It's for their good. And it's going to lead me to be able to say to them, there is a rescue. Matthew Henry, I love this quote by him. He said, to those who have believed in the gospel, they are entitled to the joys of heaven They shall have everlasting life. The convicted traitor is not only pardoned, but preferred and made a favorite and treated as one whom the king of kings delights to honor. Out of prison he comes to reign. Isn't that wonderful? That's what Jesus has done for us. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. God has so loved the world. And just as we come to a close this morning, I just want to speak to a few different people. You know, maybe there's somebody here watching online who was dragged to the service by a brother, sister, or a loved one. You've never heard this gospel, or maybe you've heard it a million times, and you've never put your trust 
in it. You're perishing. The Word of God says that you are on the road to destruction. That is the truth. Apart from Christ, there's no rescue. It doesn't matter how good you think that you have lived. Apart from Christ, there's no life. So I would implore you, if you're feeling the Holy Spirit, if you're feeling in your heart these nudgings, don't leave today without talking to somebody here. Because God delights to save sinners. God delights to save sinners. He sent his, only, his one and only Son so that you could be free of it. So that you could have life. I would love to pray with you. The people around you would love to. But then I also want to speak to the Christian who maybe has been coming to church for a long time. Maybe who's finding themselves just bored. Maybe the, the, the wonder is just gone from you. And I just want to encourage you. Spend time today. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the Word and say, Lord, for your glory and for my good, excite me again. Fill me with wonder at what you have done to save me. Don't let me go another day with overlooking the, the magnificence, the scandal of the good news. Let us be a people, friends. And I'm preaching to myself, just like, so you know. Let us be a people here who wake up every morning and who say, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In Jesus' name I come. And I am in awe of you that you would bring me home. A rebel. You're honoring me. I was once a traitor. Now I'm in the palace of the king. I was in the prison and now I'm reigning with the king. Let us be a people like that. For the glory of God, that he would receive the worship that he's due, but also for our good. Because what that is going to do, friends, that is going to lead us to preach. That is going to make us pray for the lost, will it not? Because when you're excited about something, guess what? You tend not to shut up about it. Isn't that true? I shouldn't use the word shut up. But <laughs> Krista, my wife, is amazing for many reasons. She's amazing. One thing about her is that she doesn't enjoy something in full until she tells you about it. And then she doesn't, and not even that, I would go further. She's got to make you experience it. And I'm like, she'll make a good meal and she'll want to give it away. I'm like, Krista, I was going to eat that for lunch tomorrow. She's like, oh, I just have to share this with somebody. I'm like, oh, come on. But that's what happens when we are excited about something. When we are wondering at the, the glory of something, we want to tell people about it. So for the glory of God, for our good and the lost, let's be a people excited the gospel. And just leading into this coming week with um, Camp Redeemer, let's be praying. And you volunteers, we'll be praying for you that the Lord would give you the words, that the Lord would give you boldness. And let's be praying that God would not only save the little ones here, let's be praying that God would save whole families and generations because of Camp Redeemer. Let's be praying that little ones would go home and be transformed and moms and dads would be saying, what happened? What happened? Let's be those people, friends, enthralled at what Jesus has done for his glory, for our good, and this lost and dying world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Well, Father, we acknowledge now that we can, 
We can preach these sermons. We can, be, we can try and conjure up and muster up excitement, Lord, but apart from your Holy Spirit doing a work in us, we can't do it. So right now we ask in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that you would impress these things on us. Impress us, excite us, and lead us to joy and wonder at what you have done to purchase and save us. Lord, let us be a people that, that so treasure you and our eternal life and what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to and what we will experience in the new heavens and the earth, that, Lord, the things of this earth would grow strangely dim. Produce that in us. And, oh, Lord, we pray that you would save the lost here in this room, here in the classrooms, and this coming week at Camp Redeemer. Lord, to the end that men and women would be free from their sin, saved to sin no more, to the end that they would love you and grant you the worship that you are due. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' saving mighty name. Amen. Worship team.